Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, we're continuing our series, our summer series called A Flawless God uses flawed people. Every week we're looking at somebody different in the Bible who had some major flaws, and yet God significantly used them in mighty ways. Well, this morning we're going to look at somebody in the Bible that some of you may be familiar with, some of you maybe have never even heard this person. Some of you may go, I think maybe in Sunday school I heard this, this name, but you don't remember all the details around uh, their story. I'm referring to one of the wives of David. Yes, I said wives. Uh, and this doesn't mean where David was widowed and then he, you know, remarried or, or he got divorced and, th- and then he remarried. No, uh, David had multiple wives, multiple wives before he was king and after his, he was king. And probably the, his most famous wife is, is Bathsheba, mainly because of all the scandal that took a, a place around the relationship before she married uh, the king. Uh, some of David's wives were because of political alliances. Others were because of love. Some were because of lust. I believe the woman that we're looking at this week is, uh, is wife number three. She was once married, actually, before she married David, and she married him before he became a king. She was a widow, but before she was a widow, she was in a marriage that really was not ideal. Outwardly looking, it looked like she had everything that you would ever want in life. Married, uh, very wealthy, lots of servants. For the outsider, you would have said, oh, she's living the American dream, and yet not everything is exactly as it appears. She finds herself in a marriage that's not good. It's a tough situation, living with a, a narcissist. And the circumstances that surround this lady, many would say, oh, if her situation was different, maybe God could use her. But because of the situation she's in, I don't think God can use her. Her name is Abigail. And there's this little section in the Bible that talks about her and what her life was like before she married David and before she was ever really in his life. So if you have your Bibles... And I hope you do. That's one of the things that we always do here every week at Temple Baptist Church is we open up God's Word and read it for ourselves. So if you have your Bible or some kind of electronic device, would you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is where we're going to begin to discover uh, her story, Abigail's story. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, and we're going to pick up the story in verse 2. It says, a certain man in Mona, or Ammon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean, and his dealings. We first discovered this guy, he is loaded. He's not just simply upper middle class. He is in a league all on his own. And we also discover that he is a pain in the backside. (laughs) Nobody likes dealing with him. Nobody likes hanging out uh, with this guy. Let's continue reading. It says in verse 4, while David 
was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. What we discover right here, um, the sheep are being sheared. and Maybe we just read that and we don't think much about it. But really what that's saying, it's payday. <laughs> this is like the harvest for farmers, you know, who have worked for months and months um, toiling the, the soil and planting the soil and watering the soil and weeding. And finally fall comes and payday arrives and the money starts rolling in. Well, this is exactly what is happening here. Nabal is getting ready to figure out just how big his paycheck is going to be. How fat actually is my bank account going to be when all of this is done? Well, let's continue with the story and see what happens. Verse 7. Of course, remember we just said in 6, David's going to send his men down. Now hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my young men since we come at festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you uh, can find for them. So David is saying part of the reason, Nabal, that you have been so profitable, part of the reason you have such a big paycheck, part of the reason that your bank account is bursting at its seams is because of me and my men. In a sense, he's saying we have protected you. We have protected your money. We have protected your investment. We have protected your, your business. Now, now, the story takes place about a thousand years before Christ was born. And, and recently, David has just kind of jumped onto the pages of history. Of course, you know, we, we first learn about David when he was simply a, a shepherd boy. And we learn that he was able to kill a lion and a bear with a, with a slingshot. And then later, he becomes a national hero because he takes out enemy number one for Israel, which was Goliath. He, he became King Saul's hitman. And so after he becomes this national hero, and after the battle between Goliath, they're heading back um, to the capital, and they start singing this song, a popular song, Saul, King Saul has killed his thousands, and of course Saul felt great about that, that they actually had killed enemy number one. But then the second verse went on to say, and David has killed his ten thousand. And so immediately something began to rise up in Saul of jealousy that the people were crediting him with a greater victory than he himself. So Saul so comes up with this plan, okay, i got to get this guy in the family. So uh, I don't have to be, so he's not a threat to me. And so he, he marries the king's daughter, and, and in fact, the king's son becomes his uh, very best friend. Uh, he wants to keep David close so he can keep an eye on him, because he's, he's convinced that David's going to try to take his throne in fact, he gets so jealous that he decides he's going to kill David. So in this particular part of the story, David is on the run for his life. He's actually become a fugitive. This is the part of the story where, uh, that we're discovering about David's life. And so let's pick it up there in verse 8, which I, I think I already read that. Ask your own servants and they will tell you, therefore be favorable toward my young men, since we've come at a festival time, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Since we've been so good to you, Nabal, would you be good to us? 
Well, let's pick it up here in verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. What are they waiting for? They're waiting to see what Nabal has to say. Verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Like, really? Who are you? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where they're coming? Well, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every single word. The ball says, I know who you are. You're running for your life. You're a fugitive. You've gone rogue on the king. I didn't ask for your protection, and I don't owe you a red cent. That's basically Nabal's conclusion. I mean, why would I give you anything that I have been able to produce? Share that with you. So, let's see what happens here. Let's go down to verse 12 again. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, put on your swords. <laughs> so they put on their swords, and David put on his. And 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. So you know what's happening here, right? <laughs> David has well, he's lost all self-control. He's been on the run now for a couple of years. He's tired. We all know what it's like when we're tired. We don't always make the best judgment call. Sometimes our judgment gets very cloudy. Our responses are less than what we had ever, would ever hope for ourselves. It's like David says, this is the last straw. This is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And he gathers his men. And you just know as he's making his way to Nabal's home. It's just playing over and over in his mind. Oh, Nabal, you are going to regret messing with me. You're going to pay for this, buddy. Don't mess with me. I think David is justifying as well everything that he is about to do. And it is easy to fall into that mindset, isn't it? Taking matters into your own hands. Sometimes it feels so good. But it doesn't always doesn't always end well. Let me ask you that question. Have you ever taken matters into your own hands and it didn't turn out good? Of course, David, you know, he, he's a popular figure here in the Bible. Lots have been written about him in the Bible and lots of things have been written about him outside the Bible. A few years ago, or no, a few, last fall, a group of us went to Israel and there were so many places that just honored David. And we were at King David's tomb, and all these stories just began to resonate in our minds. It was, it was quite the thing. Well, before David becomes this mighty king, we find him here. Like I said, he's a fugitive. He's actually just an ordinary guy who's making all kinds of decisions in life just like you and I do. And some of his choices that he makes are poor choices. And we do know that sometimes when we make poor choices, we begin to spiral down even farther. Well, David is on the verge of making a very bad decision. And right at the last moment, he's prevented 
from carrying out the decision that he has made. I mean, David literally is moments away from doing something that he is going to regret later. David is actually on his way to do something that he had already made a decision about. He already had put the plan together. They weren't in the uh, planning stages. Oh, no, no. It was in action stages. And the decision had been made in his mind what he was going to do. But then somebody steps in and persuades him to change his mind. That person is Abigail. Now remember, we learned about her before. She's, it says that she was very beautiful and very intelligent. And so David's coming down. He's going to get even with the ball. You know, we often will quote the golden rule around here. You know, do unto others as, they, as you would have them do unto you. But as soon as someone does something to you that you do not like, something that has caused you some pain, some frustration, some hurt, caused you a little bit of grief, we rephrase that golden rule. I know I've done it in my own mind. And this is what we come to the conclusion. Do unto others what they have done unto you. In this culture, we often call it, I'm going to get even. That's what we would say. You know, as I was reading through this story, I was kind of reminded of a book that I, I really, really love, a, a, a literature book. They made it into a movie, too, called The Count of Monte Cristo. It's a story about romance, imprisonment, faith, fate, human nature, justice. But most of all, it's a story about revenge, meticulously plotted, total satisfying revenge. As Dante says in his final chapters, how did I escape with difficulty? And how did I plan this moment with pleasure? Revenge. The thing about getting even is you're getting even with somebody that you don't even like. You're acting like someone that you don't like. Why would you act like somebody that you don't even like? Well, let's continue on. Verse 14. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, there were a wall around us all the time. We were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So the servant has overheard the entire conversation between David's men and Nabal. And the servants say to Abigail, the wife of Nabal, everything that they said, it's true. It really is. It's like God did send David and his men to protect us. It's true. We, we were vulnerable at times. We were sitting ducks out there that anybody could have come and caused havoc for us. 
I, I, I do find it uh, interesting that the servant even says to, his own, to Nabal's wife, like, your husband is evil. And then in verse 17, it says, now think this over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail lost no time. She acted quickly. And as I'm reading through the story, I'm like, man, this story is so fascinating. It's like, what is going to happen next? I just don't get it when people say to me, oh, the Bible, it's so boring. I'm like, really? Have you read the Bible? I feel like as I'm reading the story, I find myself right on the edge of my seat. Um, the details in the story really help paint a picture for us. And so let's continue on. It says, she, she took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sea of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on a donkey. Then he, she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there was David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. So as Abigail's coming down to the ravine, David has just said this. Not one of his uh, family members, not one of his business uh, associates are going to be standing when this whole thing is over. Remember, they're coming for revenge. David and his men are coming to butcher Nabal and his entire operation. No one is going to be left standing after David and his men finish the job that is at hand. In fact, what we find, David is ticked. These people are going to get what they deserve. In verse 23, it says she bows before David. Abigail is the wife of a wealthy, wealthy man. She has status. People bow to her. Remember, uh, David's picture is up in all the post offices. Like he's got a bounty on his head. He's a fugitive. And here is this woman of status bowing before David. What does she say? What could she possibly say that would even remotely begin to you know, lower his anger? Well, let's find out. Verse 24. She fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is Fool. Huh, interesting. He's living up to his name. And folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now since the Lord has kept you my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. 
And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my master, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servants of offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hunt or hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has done my master everything good he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience this staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having to... Avenging himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. You know what just happened here, right? As you read through that. Abigail speaks into his future. She kind of reminds him that God has a plan for him. And, and, she, and she brings up Saul there because she says, even though there's someone who is trying to kill you, even though there's someone who's trying to steal your life, God's hand of protection is upon you. And then she even brings up the whole incident when she, he was a teenager, you know, when he had a slingshot and he brought down number one enemy of Israel, Goliath. And then she goes on to say, one day, this moment will be part of your past. One Day, this moment will become a story that you would tell your children and your grandchildren. And it's almost like she's saying, what's the story that you want to tell? Is it a story of, of shedding innocent blood? Or is it a story, something different? This is not a story that you want part of you. And that's why she says, you don't want to look back and say, oh, man. When you become king, like, oh, I shed innocent blood. We'll continue on. It says, David said to Abigail, praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment, for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. David changes his mind and thanks her for making, for saving him from making a huge mistake because there would have been innocent blood on his hand. And Abigail leads David away from this predetermined action that David was about to do. I'm sure when that all happened and David turned around with his men, I'm sure she was like collapsing. I didn't know what was going to happen. It says, Verse 35, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. She comes back, <laughs> Nabal's throwing this big festival. I mean, he's just had payday, right? We said that. The money is rolling in. And remember, 
He's a very wealthy man, so his celebration is going to be very much like the celebration of a king. And he's drunk. And Abigail said, this is probably not a good time to tell him. And she's going to wait till tomorrow in the morning. And so in the morning, we find out she does tell him. And it's like he has a stroke. So he becomes like a stone. And then it says, 10 days later, he died. I want to look at a couple different responses in this passage. Because we have three different ones. You have Nabal. His response is evil for good. In fact, David actually says that. But then David has a response as well. His response is evil for evil. And Abigail has a response that is good for evil. David's response, honestly, I I think we all could say it's typical. In fact, it's predictable. Evil for evil. And in this period of history, that was common. Nobody would have blinked an eye. I mean, the truth is, you know, it's it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I mean, you just get even with people. You settle the score. That's kind of the mindset in this time of history. And so really, in many ways, Abigail is ahead of her time. She turns everything upside down. In fact, people would say her response was remarkable. Some responses are predictable, they're typical, but then every now and then you see these responses that are remarkable. It's like she turns everything upside down, what people knew in this time period. If you were to kind of jump forward into the New Testament, uh, Jesus did the exact same thing. In Matthew chapter 5, you know, he said, oh, it's really good that you all say, you know, I love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then Jesus says, no, no, no. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That is a whole new concept. What? In fact, Peter writes for us this too. In 1 Peter 3, do not pay evil for evil. Oh, man. That is hard sometimes. Honestly, that is hard sometimes. But you know what? It may be the most Christ-like thing that you ever do in your life, but not by not responding in like kind. When someone does evil for you, when you don't respond with evil, it could be that moment when you're the most like Christ. See, let's be honest. It is easy to get even. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of thought for that to happen. And so when I think about this story, I, I keep thinking, Donald, what, what's the story you want told about your life? I'd ask you the same question. What is the story that you want to tell? This question actually, I mean, it's a great question for Christians, a great question for religious people. It's a great question that don't even know God. Like, what is the story that you want to be told about you? Because every event in your life is part of a greater story that will be told about you. It's part of your story. So part of your story could be, yeah, I remember he got even. 
He got revenge. He got justice. But what would it look like for me? For you? For those of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of God, fully devoted followers of Jesus, if we repaid or returned good for evil. Now, I, I find that I, there's something that rises up inside of me sometimes when I read social media. And I'll read something, and I'm like, oh, they are not getting away with saying that. And I start typing. And just before I press send, I go, really, Donald? Is that your response? And then I delete. But I find myself a couple days later, like, oh, I'll tell you what I think about that. And then I go, delete. Donald, it's easy. Doesn't give no thought to give evil for evil. Donald, you have the opportunity to return good for evil. So we could ask that ourselves about maybe, I don't know what your situation is, but maybe what do you think about when you think about your, your ex? Or what about that neighbor who's just been a thorn in your flesh? Or that relative that just bugs you every time you find yourself around them? Now, some people would say, well, just don't do anything. Right? And that's, that could be a response. To do nothing in return to someone's evil. You know what we call that? We call it mercy. You know, you withhold something that they deserve. That is mercy. But when you give something to somebody that they don't deserve, do you know what that's called? It's called grace. To do something good instead of return evil, it's called grace. And this is where, as Christians, our story intersects with God's story. See, when God extended his grace to us, he did it when we're still his enemy, when we should have got judgment on us. When we're shaking our fists at him, you know what he does? He offers us eternal life. What? That's called grace. So my question is, as followers of Jesus, as part of the church family, what is our story going to be? Is it going to be, oh yeah, typical, yeah, that's predictable. Or is our story going to be remarkable? I often said that in every story of the Old Testament, I, I feel like it just keeps pointing to the fact that a deliverer is coming, that there's a need for a deliverer. Even in this story, uh, we see ourselves and our need for someone to step in and to deliver us. I mean, there is Nabal. I mean, uh, Nabal, that's, that's kind of like us, you know, self-centered, drowning in our own sin. And there comes David. He's going to, you know, because uh, pay for the wages of Nabal's uh, lifestyle. And then out of nowhere, Abigail shows up and makes peace with David. Well, that's the story of redemption. <laughs> Christ, the Messiah, shows up out of nowhere and turns everything upside down and pays the price for our redemption so we would not have to suffer the consequences of our action. It's a 
beautiful story, the story of redemption. And so you may be tuning in this morning. And you're wondering, well, what, what does it mean again? Redemption? What is, what is that? I've heard that word before. Redemption is where we don't have to suffer because of our sin. Redemption is where Christ has come and paid the debt, the consequences that should be ours. I mean, oftentimes when we think of the cross and Christ on the cross, we, we have to think that that should have been us paying for the wages of our sin. But no, Christ did. Christ did that for us. That's the redemption story. And we see it played out in this story of Nabal, Abigail, and David. And so this morning, if you've never been redeemed, bought with this precious blood of Christ, you can do that today, actually. Right where you are, no matter what your surroundings, no matter where you find yourself this morning, if you would call out to God, to Jesus, who paid the price and say something as simple as a prayer, Lord, <laughs> I'm a mess. I know I've sinned. I know I messed up. <laughs> and Lord, you paid the price for me. And I understand that. Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you come into my life and make me a new person? I believe, Lord, that you're the one who offers mercy and grace. You withheld what I should have had, and you've given me good for even my own evil. That's grace. And God promises to extend that to you when you call out to him. And that is my prayer for you today. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no way.